Amen. Well, we can surrender all because nothing is better than Jesus. There is nothing better than him. So it is worth, it is worth giving up everything to gain that which is of supreme value, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. That Jesus is both our savior and our treasure. So here we are back in Philippians chapter 1, and we are continuing to work through our identities. And today, as Rod said, we're going to be working through the identity of intentional disciple maker. That is, that if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been called by him to purposefully take the gospel into the world. Now, I promise we're going to get there. You're going to see how this applies to disciple making, but it's going to take us a little bit. So bear with me, and then at the end, you will see the application to disciple making, okay? Can everybody be patient with me? Okay, some of you folks are rude. Others of you are nice people. So let's pray and ask for the Lord's help one more time. Lord, we do need you. And um, gracious Father, those are not words. Those are the true confession of our heart. So, Father, come, send your spirit. Would you change us, Lord? Would you help us to see Jesus today? Oh, God, would you make him more precious in our hearts? We are oh so prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. Oh, here's our hearts, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Would you work in us through the preaching of your word? Hide me behind the cross In the precious name of our Savior, I pray. Amen. When I was a kid, I collected uh, sports cards. Any any sports cards collectors out there? Okay, very good. A few of you. And um, I had a few friends that I would do it with. and, And they would come over and we would kind of lay out all of our cards on the floor of the bedroom and begin to trade, right? And uh, inevitably, even though I had hundreds and hundreds of cards, inevitably, I would pull out this little box. That's Garfield. I know. You're jealous. Um, Because in this box was a few of the cards that I really, really loved. So, fortunately, I, I brought them here for you today. So, one, of course, being a Born and bred in Chicago, I have my Ryan Sandberg rookie card. Any Ryan Sandberg fans? Anybody? Anybody? Sinners, all of you. Okay. (laughs) Ryan Sandberg, one of the greatest baseball... I love you, Ryan. You were with us when we stunk all the time. Okay, very good. Of course, of course, I had my David Robinson rookie card right here. The Admiral. Any David Robinson fans at least? Okay, all right. Very good. I loved David Robinson. And then maybe my favorite, which is a little bit weird, John Stockton rookie card. Okay, I know some people hate John Stockton, but I love John Stockton because I kind of played like John Stockton. I was just gritty and I liked to pass the ball. And so anyway, the point of the matter is, is that why did I keep those particular cards in this box separate from everything else in the honored position of being inside of Garfield? Um, as honored as you can be inside of Garfield. Why did I do that? Because these were my treasure, right? And you probably, as a kid, had some sort of little treasure box, or maybe you have some sort of family heirloom that you still really enjoy, or maybe you've got a safe in your house with some actual valuables in it that are worth real stuff. Whatever the case is, we all know what it means to treasure something, don't we? 
Something that's really precious and important to us. Something that we don't want to let go. We don't want to see out of our possession. I bring this up today because oftentimes the Bible speaks of Christ and his work as a treasure. Did you know that? Several times throughout the scripture, Jesus and his work on behalf of sinners is referred to as a treasure. Let me show you just a couple of those. Matthew chapter 13, verse number 44. The kingdom of heaven is like, what's it say? Buried in a field that a man found and reburied. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Or Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one... Okay, you're a little slower there. Priceless pearl. He went and sold everything he had and bought it. Or Philippians chapter 3, verse number 8. I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. And then finally, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. In Christ are hidden all the of wisdom and knowledge. The idea is simply this. Christ came to be trusted and treasured. It's not sufficient for us simply to believe that Jesus was real and that he he came to earth to rescue sinners and kind of nod our heads and say, yes, that's true. Jesus is our savior. Jesus also came to be our treasure. He wants us to today, right now, recognize his infinite worth and value. And if you've believed the gospel, if you've trusted in Jesus, you begin to experience that reality, haven't you? You see, when a person trusts in Jesus, something really profound happens to them. They not only become persuaded that Christ is real and what the Bible says is true, they also actually start to want Jesus. You know what I mean? If you're a Christian, you know this to be true. You don't just say, Jesus is real. You say, I want him. He's valuable. He's beautiful. He's precious. One of the best places that I see this illustrated is in the great theological treatise, Green Eggs and Ham. You know the story. In it, the protagonist is confronted by Sam I Am, who offers him, that's right, green eggs and... And in the first part of the story, our hero is disgusted by the notion of eating greens, eggs, and ham. But through persistent pestering, Sam I Am wears him down and then gets him to try the seemingly detestable dish. And then when the man takes a bite of it, he experiences an immediate and radical conversion. He's converted. And he loudly proclaims, say, I like green eggs and ham. I do like them, Sam I am. And I would eat them in a boat. And I would eat them with a goat. And I would eat them in the rain and in the dark and on a train and in a car and in a tree. They are so good, so good, you see. So I will eat them in a box. And I will eat them with a fox. And I will eat them in a house. And I will eat them with a mouse. And I will eat them here and there. Say, I will eat them anywhere. I do so like green eggs and ham. Thank you, thank you, Sam I am. I know that's deep, right? When the character in the story started to value green eggs and ham, it radically changed him, did it not? 
His value system changed his behaviors. Or, if I were to say it really succinctly, what you value determines what you do. He valued Greg eggs and ham, and all of a sudden he's like, I'll eat them anywhere. If you value money, guess what? You work a lot. If you value your image, you're carefully crafted on social media. If you value your family and friends, you'll spend time with them. If you value physical fitness, you'll exercise. And if you value winning football, you'll renounce every team that hails from the state of Georgia. Sorry. It's been a bad run for us, has it not? Sorry, Tiandra, that's for you, right? You get the concept. What you value has profound ramifications on how you live. It's not that any of the things that I mentioned are intrinsically evil. In fact, many of them are good things. The problem is that we human beings have a tendency to make good things ultimate things. Good things, the main thing. That is why Philippians chapter 1 is so helpful for us today. For in it, we learn the story of the Apostle Paul, who from a human standpoint had every reason to be discouraged and perhaps to even be hopeless. At this time, not only was he imprisoned, for preaching the gospel, but those outside of the prison walls were taking shots at him. They were doing things to try to sully his reputation. And yet in the midst of this difficult, trying time, what does Paul do? Chapter one, verse number 18, in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. So what made the difference? Why was Paul able to have this perspective in the midst of life's difficulties? I think Paul responded this way, and here's the big idea. It's simply this, because he treasured Christ more than his comfort, more than his reputation, more than his freedom. He treasured Jesus above all. And that's really my point this morning, folks. We must treasure Christ above all. Jesus must be more important to you, more valuable to you, more worthy to you than anything else in this life. When Christ is your greatest treasure, it literally changes the course of your life. We see it in the life of Paul, and it can be true for you and I as well. So you might hear that and say, okay, all right. I hear you, Ryan, that treasuring Christ is really a big deal, and it matters. But how does it practically make a difference in the day-to-day? I mean, yeah, we can sing songs at church about Jesus' worthiness and all that, but how does it change Monday? How does the fact that Christ is my treasure impact me when I'm at work or when I'm with the kids at home or when I'm talking on the phone? How does that make a difference in my life? That's what I want to talk about here. I want to give you three ways, that the, uh, three impacts of treasuring Christ this morning. Three impacts. The first one is this. Our suffering becomes purposeful. When Christ is your treasure, your suffering takes on a new meaning. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, look at chapter 1, verse number 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers, this is Paul writing, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Okay, hold up. The what was happened to me that he is referring to in this passage is the fact that he's in prison. And he's saying, hey guys, I want you to know that I'm in prison and it's actually advanced the gospel. Paul is able to see significance in his adversity. 
Then he even goes further. Look at verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the world, the, the, the whole imperial guard, and to everyone else, that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord for my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. It's almost like Paul is saying, hey man, I'm really thankful I got put in prison because the gospel is going forward. You're like, does this dude have a screw loose? What is the matter with him? Who is grateful for, for being in prison? I don't think Paul is crazy. I just believe he was able to rejoice in the midst of suffering because he so treasured Christ that he was willing to endure anything to see Jesus exalted. We've all heard the expression before, no pain, what? And we've all practiced it in some way, right? You, you deny yourself one thing, you experience pain, so whether it's denying yourself a piece of chocolate cake or denying yourself quitting in the middle of the workout or denying yourself the discomfort of getting up early in the morning and running, whatever it is, we deny ourselves one thing because we value the other thing more. And in order to get the other thing, we have to go through some pain. I think that's essentially what Paul is doing here. He's saying, look, this suffering, yes, it's hard. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. But I'm willing to go through it because no pain, no gain. I want Jesus to be exalted more than I want to be comfortable. I want Jesus to be, com to be exalted more than I want to be out of prison. I want Jesus to be exalted more than I want my life to be easy. You see, when Jesus is your treasure, it transforms your perspective on suffering. Paul was able to rejoice because comfort wasn't his treasure, Jesus was. And the same is true for you and I today. If we treasure Jesus, you can tolerate it when your coworkers judge you or misunderstand you because of your convictions. You can, you can rest when your plans fall apart. You can be content when it seems like everybody else seems to get all the fun. You can even endure rejection when Christ is your treasures. None of those things are of ultimate importance. They are secondary. What Paul realized and what we must grasp that if you have believed the gospel, no amount of suffering can ever sever you from Jesus. Man, in this room, there are some hard things going on. But if Jesus is your treasure, you can't ever lose that. That is such good news for us because in this world, there are so many things that are unsecure. There are so much, there's so much change. There's so much uncertainty. And yet, if Jesus is your supreme value, you can never lose the thing that matters most to you. Look, the older I get, the more at grips with my, real, with, with, with my coming mortality that I realize. Every time I see a gray hair, and I'm getting lots of them, the ones that stay on my head. Every time I see it, I'm like, man, I'm going to die. It's not really morbid. It's just like, that's the reality, right? We human beings die. And yet, if life, if this life is my treasure... What will I do? I'll do everything to just try to stay alive a little bit longer. But if Jesus is my treasure, absolutely nothing, even my death, can take him from me. 
And that transforms our perspective on suffering. Look, make Jesus your treasure. He doesn't promise you an easy life, but he does promise that your life, your suffering will be bearable because your suffering will have purpose. And that which is most valuable to you will never, ever go away. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8. For I am persuaded, this is Paul, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is utterly secure. Look, if Jesus is your treasure, friends, here's the good news. You can never go bankrupt, ever. If Jesus is your treasure, you can never, ever go bankrupt. And that's how he transforms our perspective on suffering. Number two, not only does our suffering become purposeful, but if Jesus is your treasure, our family becomes precious. When you treasure Jesus, something else happens. That is your spiritual family. I'm not talking about your biological family here, but your spiritual family becomes very precious to you. Let me unpack that for you. Look again at verse number 12. Now, I want you to know, is it going to be up there? Now, I want you to know, what's it say? Okay, everybody turn and look up here because this is critical. Now, I want you to know, now, I want you to know, so Paul calls the Philippian believers what? Right. And that's not an isolated instance. Philippians is a pretty short epistle, only four chapters. And yet in it, eight times, eight times, he refers to these believers as his brothers and sisters. It seems that Paul would agree with what we like to say around here. The church is not like a family. It is a family. Paul thought of these people as his blood, as it were. But what does it mean? What does it mean that Paul thought so deeply about these people as his family? At least in part, it means that Paul cared deeply about them. He loved them with a familial affection. In fact, look back at verse 7. He tells us exactly that. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about you. Why? Because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace. Verse 8, for God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I mean, I read that and I was like, wow, that's kind of mushy. Like, Paul's like, is he just like all sentimental here? What's behind this? I, I think the principle is fairly obvious. We value others who hold similar values to us, right? Particularly when you're suffering. When life is hard, you tend to value others who hold similar values to you. Look, you know, you, you know what's a really good example of this? Texans, right? I see, yeah. Who, who has some Texas roots here? Yeah, see. Right, 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 right. Case in point illustrated right there, right? Like, have you ever met two people from Texas outside of Texas? It, yes, like everybody's doing the eye roll. Yes. It's like they run into each other and all of a sudden they're like the best buddies in the world. And they all think that everything made in Texas is superior. And they're like, the Texans right now are saying, that's because it is. That's because it is. 
it's just so funny because these people get together and they immediately have this affinity and this bond. Why? Because they share similar values. This is what happens. Like there's this immediate connection because their values are in sync. They value the state of Texas. So as Paul said imprisoned and he takes up his pen, he's like, who am I going to write to? I, I know. I'm going to write to the Philippians. I know that they will care about me. I know that they will share in my suffering. I know they'll help if they can. You know why? Because I know the Philippians care about Jesus and I care about Jesus. These people are my family and I'm so thankful for them because we both value the same Christ. In one sense, it is that type of bond that explains even why this church, Gospel Hope Church, exists at all. You ever stop to think about it just a minute? I, it, seriously, just look around for a moment, literally. That's not like rhetorical. Like, just look around for a moment. Go ahead. Go ahead. Nobody's judging you. You're not staring. You're not a creeper. Just look around. There's all kinds of people in this room, right? There's black people and white people. There's affluent people and underprivileged people. There are people who grew up in the church and people who are new to the church. There are boomers, there are millennials, there are liberals, there are conservatives, there are teenagers and retirees. There are marrieds and singles, there are PhDs and GEDs. And yet, in spite of all the things that could divide us, you folks genuinely love each other. How do we explain that? How can we get our minds around this? I don't get it when, when Odera, a 24-year-old black man, comes over to my house. Hey, Pastor Ryan. Walks down, like that's it. That's his like, extent of his conversation. Hey, Pastor Ryan. Walks down the stairs and goes and spends an hour or two with my mother, um, a white woman who is not 24. Twenty-nine, I think. Yeah, something like that. I don't get it. The world doesn't get it. But I get it from a theological standpoint because these are our people. These are our family. Because we value the same Jesus. And because of that, we have so much in common. Or to put it very simply, in the church, what we have in common far outweighs is what keeps us apart. These are my brothers and sisters, and we love Jesus. And it doesn't matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter the amount in our bank account. It doesn't matter our upbringing or background. What is most important to us is Jesus, and that unites us. It's not that those differences go away. It's not that we don't celebrate those differences, but they are all secondary differences. Or as Paul puts it over in Colossians, in Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and he is in all. So if you have trusted in Jesus, you are not like my brother. You are not like my sister. You are my brother and sister and you are precious to me. Because you value the same Lord that I value. Number three, what else happens when we value Jesus? Our mission becomes primary. 
As a result of Paul's imprisonment, others began to preach the gospel. But not everybody involved in this had the purest of motives. This is a little bit weird. But notice what happens. Verse 15. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Now, so Paul's in prison, and as a result, the gospel's going further. And to be sure, there were some believers who were there who were spreading the gospel out of really good motives. They were seeking to lead others to the Lord. But for some reason, there were some preachers, they were trying to take personal shots at Paul. In some way, tear down him, sully his reputation, make him look bad. So how did this strategy work? Was it effective? Well, I'll let you be the judge. Verse number 17. The others proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. Now notice this statement, verse 18. What does it matter? Only in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, and yes, I will continue to rejoice. Or to paraphrase, doesn't bother me. Or if you're a millennial, haters going to hate. He's not bothered by it. No skin off my nose. I'm not bothered by this because I want Jesus to be preached. All these attempts to hurt Paul were utterly ineffective. You see, these hypocritical preachers of the gospel misunderstood Paul. They thought Paul was concerned about his reputation. But as it turned out, the apostle cared far more about the exaltation of the name of Jesus than the exaltation of the name of Paul. And this is true for all who cherish Jesus. For when you treasure Christ, his kingdom is more important than yours. His kingdom is more important than yours. And friends, this is a good word for us today. And God has been so kind to us here in our three years at Gospel Hope. Amen? I mean, God has been so kind. A little less than three years ago, there was no Gospel Hope Church. Now there is a growing body of believers who is deeply committed to the word of God, who treats one another like a family, and who gives generously to the mission of God in the world. We have a lot to celebrate. We do. In fact, we have a lot to celebrate. Let's celebrate God's goodness to us. And yet, since we have been given a measure of success, there can be a temptation to be more concerned about building our brand than about building the brand of Christ. Don't get me wrong. I'm deeply grateful to be part of what God is doing here. But look, it is not, it is not about the exaltation of the name of gospel hope. It is not about the exaltation of the name of Pastor Rod. Most importantly, not about Pastor Rod. It's really not about him at all. I mean, he wouldn't want that, right? It is not about the exaltation of Pastor Ryan. It is not about the exaltation of vibrant worship or diverse leadership or a welcoming congregation. These are all really good things. But gospel hope, we exist to exalt the name of Jesus. That's why we're here. It's not about you or me. It's not about us collectively. It's about him. 
His kingdom is more important than ours. It was this realization that enabled the Apostle Paul to sit there in prison and people are throwing stones at him and he doesn't get discouraged at all because he's like, just as long as Christ is preached, that's what matters to me. You throw my net reputation to the mud as long as Jesus is preached. Let let me ask you this question. Folks, do you want to see Atlanta, do you want to see Decatur reached? Yes or no? Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you be okay if God used another church to do it? That's, That's the gut check. Like, we want to be involved in God's mission in the world. We want to be a part of that. But would you be more about the kingdom of Jesus than you are about your own kingdom, about your own reputation, about the own part that you have to play? Can you sit on the bench and cheer on when the team is winning? Brothers and sisters, that needs to be the mark of this body of believers that we are about the kingdom of Jesus. Man. Paul was consumed with the mission of Christ and nothing could distract him from it. And the reality is, if we really treasure Jesus, you can't help but be involved in the mission of God. Like if Christ is really your treasure, like if he's the most important thing to you, you will get involved in the mission. Why? Because you speak about that which you love. How many of you, any new grandparents here? New grandparents. Like last two or three years, new grandparents. Okay, all right. Stay away from these people. Because have you ever met like like a freshly minted grandparent? They like start making their way to you. Oh, Valerie. Have you seen my grandbaby? Now I have. That's actually my driver's license. I don't have any grandkids. That's so dumb. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Like they're just like effusing about their grandchildren. And you're like, I didn't ask. I don't really care. But they're going to tell you. Why? Because their grandchildren are a treasure. They treasure them. And so they can't help but talk about them. It's, it doesn't matter if you ask or not. It's in their heart, so it ends up on their mouth. And brothers and sisters, if we begin to treasure Jesus, if he, if we see him of supreme value, of supreme worth, if he is the treasure that is worth selling everything to go get, if he is the pearl of great price, if in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom, If we see Jesus in that way, it will inevitably begin to spill out of our mouth. Or to put it simply, when Christ is treasured, he will be proclaimed. Some of our problem is is not that we're afraid or we don't know how to share the gospel. Our problem is that we don't treasure Christ. Because if we did, we would speak about him. Oh, gospel presentations are helpful and dealing with our fears, that's important. But the bottom line is, if we treasure Jesus, we will talk about him. Just like when my friends came over, guess what? I'm getting the Garfield box out. (laughs) Because these are precious to me. 
And if Jesus is precious to us, guess what? We will talk about him, brothers and sisters. So let's be people who treasure Christ. So you might hear all this and say, Ryan, I, and I want to be like that. I want to see purpose in my suffering and value the church and engage in God's mission, but I'm just not sure it's in me. If I'm honest, if I'm really honest, I don't know if I would be having integrity if I said Christ is my treasure. I mean, just shooting straight. Yeah, I like Jesus, and, but I like a lot of other things like pizza. And Jesus is somewhere in that mix, but I'm not sure he's a treasure that's worth selling everything else to get. If that's in you, then you're in luck. Because we're gonna close this sermon a little bit differently today. I wanna give you some ways, just very practically right now, that you can treasure Jesus in the next five minutes. You know, here's a wonderful thing. You do not need to make Christ valuable. It's not like you have to pretend like he's worthy. He is worthy. We simply have to recognize what is already right in front of us. Christ is a treasure. You don't need to make him a treasure. He is a treasure. So I want to give you two ways right now that we can treasure Christ. The first one is this. Remember who Christ is. Remember who Christ is. And we're going to sing about him. That's actually how we're going to treasure him. We don't sing songs just because we like music. We sing songs because Jesus is worthy. So let me, before we sing, just prime the pump just a little bit. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He's the bright and morning star, the creator of the universe, the deliverer of his people, the everlasting God, the friend of sinners, the good shepherd, our high priest, our, the image of the invisible God, our justifier, the king of kings, the lamb of God, our mediator, the name above all names, the one and only son, the prince of priests, our righteousness, our savior, the truth, the unspeakable gift, the vine, the way, the exact image of the person of God, the yes and amen, and he is science, true king, let's seek his name.